There's been a lot of discussion in recent years of the end of neoliberalism, this phase of capitalism that emerged in the 1980s with the rise of Margaret Thatcher in Britain and Ronald Reagan in the U.S., this kind of ultra, you know, free market economics where there was no state intervention in the economy, where, you know, corporations control everything and the solution to all problems in society is freeing the market and privatizations. Well, we actually saw a speech from ultra neoliberal president of France, Emmanuel Macron, who basically announced the end of neoliberalism. Now, he's not planning on re replacing neoliberalism with another economic model. He's acknowledging, really, that it's completely failed, that it has imploded, and that in France and across Europe, there is a massive economic crisis that has really already started, but it's going to get worse and worse, especially as winter comes. And for me, I think this speech in which the banker turned French President Macron announces the end of abundance, as he puts it. I think this really reflects the fact that the, the key elements of the global economy, of the imperialist world system, that allowed for the Western neoliberal economies to function were cheap energy from Russia, cheap oil and gas, cheap consumer goods from Asia, specifically from China, and large amounts of debt in the West and low interest rates. And now we're seeing that all of those things are disappearing. And these, you know, these columns that the neoliberal system was built on are collapsing. And we now see a massive economic crisis in Europe and to a lesser extent in the US where there still is an economic crisis. It's not as severe, but it's, it's continuing to get worse. And this is largely a crisis of the West's own making. This is an example of the major backfiring of the economic warfare that the U.S. and Europe have waged around the world with so-called sanctions, which are illegal according to international law. They are unilateral coercive measures that the U.S. and Europe have imposed on countries with populations representing 40% of the global population. 40% of people in the world live in countries sanctioned by the West. And we now see with the economic war and sanctions against Russia that this is essentially destroying Western economies. So let me get to this speech that I mentioned from French President Emmanuel Macron. Now, I do need to stress the fact for people who don't know, Emmanuel Macron is a right-wing president center-right, maybe, if you want to be fair. There's nothing left-wing about him. Okay, he he doesn't, you know, use explicit, you know, fascist rhetoric, far-right rhetoric, like maybe someone like uh, Marine Le Pen and her far-right National Front Party. But he shares many of her policies. He's a complete neoliberal economically. He's a formal banker, former banker. All of his economic policies are against the working class. They are in favor of corporations and the rich, against working people. And in terms of his social policy, he also has been imposing a lot of uh, Islamophobic policies and racist, racist policies, trying to appeal to the same kind of racist far-right base that Marine Le Pen was appealing to. So Macron is in no way like announcing the end of neoliberalism and the move back toward Keynesianism, back toward more state intervention in the economy to try to provide a social safety net and a welfare state. No, 
he's just saying that the the myth of abundance that capitalism has provided for a few decades under this neoliberal phase that myth of abundance is over the the honeymoon is over and now it's all strictly the nightmare so this is an article that was published in the guardian it's titled macron warns of end of abundance as france faces difficult winter macron said france and the french people french people felt they are living through a series of crises each worse than the last and here's this exact quote from him what we are currently living through is a kind of major tipping point or a great upheaval we are living the end of what could have seemed an era of abundance the end of the abundance of products of technologies that seemed always available the end of the abundance of land and materials including water so that's an acknowledgement for climate change and the accessibility of water is going to get more and more it's going to get worse and worse and more, more and more precarious for a lot of people especially poor people in the global south so this is him just blatantly admitting it and if you go down here what's interesting about this article you know the guardian is the, a complete neoliberal mouthpiece it represents the you know the right-wing blairite tendency within the labor party which is completely, you know, pro-corporation against the working class. But they do quote someone from organized labor here. They quote the leader of the powerful CGT union in France, one of the most powerful unions. The secretary general's name is Philippe Martinez. And he said that Macron's comments were misplaced and many in France had never known abundance. And he said, quote, when we talk about the end of abundance, I think of the millions of unemployed, the millions of those in a precarious situation. For many French people, times are already hard. Sacrifices have already been made. And this article points out that while French President Macron is announcing the end of abundance and making it clear that life is going to get even more difficult for working people, that they're gonna have even less wealth in the years to come and have to suffer more while they work harder and harder. Meanwhile, corporations in France continue to make more and more money and the rich continue to get richer. This report notes that there were exceptional profits in 2021. It was revealed that the dividends paid out by major French corporations to their shareholders reached a record 44 billion euros in the second quarter of 2022. The, dev the dividend payout to corporate shareholders was up almost 33% compared to 2021. So while Macron is announcing the end of abundance and difficult economic times coming in which poor and working people are going to have to pay more of their paychecks just to heat their houses. Meanwhile, corporations and the rich in France are getting richer and richer at the expense of the poor working class people. And... Macron said in his speech that this autumn and winter will be a difficult one for the country with a risk of energy shortages and high prices. Now, of course, The Guardian is a neoliberal mouthpiece of Western government, specifically the, the British intelligence agencies. So they say that the high energy prices are a result of Russia's war on Ukraine. Of course, they don't mention, no, actually, 
the high energy prices are a direct result of the Western economic war on Russia, the Western sanctions on Russia. They're saying, well, Russia, you know, it has this war in Ukraine that has been going on since 2014, fueled with billions of dollars by the West, by NATO, by the US, by Europe. No mention of that. They just blame it all on Russia, not mentioning the sanctions that the US and Europe have imposed on Russia and their refusal to import cheap Russian energy. So it's actually, this is a crisis of the West's own making. They've brought this upon themselves and it's going to be poor and working people who have to pay the cost of this economic crisis, not rich corporations and billionaires who, as I just pointed out, in France and in the US and in other European countries are making more and more money. But Macron says, this is the price to pay for freedom. That's the typical propaganda. People in Europe and the US have to sacrifice themselves on behalf of empire. And they say that it's about freedom. It's not about freedom, it's about empire. It's about keeping Ukraine as a Western puppet regime so it can become part of NATO right on Russia's border to weaken Russia, to threaten Russia, to surround Russia by military bases and to eventually try to overthrow the Russian government. So surprisingly, this article acknowledges a figure who is almost never quoted in mainstream media, the leader of the French Communist Party, Fabien Roussel. He said uh, he was a presidential candidate and he said he expressed astonishment at Macron's speech saying, quote, unbelievable. It's as if the French have had no worries and been overindulging themselves. We have 10 million poor in France because of President Macron's carelessness and the predatory behavior of the rich. So this is Macron announcing the end to the myth of prosperity, the idea of abundance. And we also see this in the US. This was a, a, an article in Bloomberg that shows the increasing economic crisis in the US and the, basically the kind of state of being a failed state in the United States. This article in Bloomberg is titled, a tsunami of shutoffs. 20 million U.S. homes are behind on energy bills. It notes that one in six homes in the United States is falling behind on their utility bills. That is 20 million households in the United States. These are people who, who basically can't afford the high energy costs. And the National Energy Assistance Directors Association says this is the worst crisis it has ever documented with a blistering surge in electricity prices propelled by the soaring cost of natural gas and the Western sanctions on Russia, of course. Russia being one of the world's largest producers and exporters of oil and natural gas. This article in Bloomberg notes the power bill crisis is even more acute in Europe where the spike in natural gas prices has been far greater Although Bloomberg points out that some European politicians have sprung into action, throwing billions of euros in aid at struggling families to help them pay bills. So although you still have these neoliberal economies like in France, where banker slash President Macron is trying to bail out all his rich friends in corporations and, and banks. Meanwhile, at least in, in Europe, there is a little social support. There are some governments making some minimal efforts to provide support and subsidies for people to help them pay their energy costs. But in the US, there's no discussion of that. Bloomberg points out 
there's been no meaningful talk of doing anything on a similar scale in the US, which has the most capitalist, most neoliberal economy, where there is no government intervention to help working people. There is government support for big corporations and banks, but never for poor working people. The, the article points out that people in the United States are already gut punched by soaring prices for just about everything. And more and more people are facing a choice among food, housing, and keeping the power on. And this article in Bloomberg cites an, an attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity who says, quote, I expect a tsunami of shutoffs. So this is the U.S. failed state, supposedly the great prosperous American dream in the richest country in the world. And meanwhile, millions of people can't even pay for electricity. Talk about a failed state. This is the failure of capitalism. This is the failure of the capitalist economic model that's supposed to provide people with prosperity and wealth. This graph in this article is really remarkable. It shows household energy prices, electricity prices in the U.S., the EU, Britain, and Japan. And you can see that the prices have skyrocketed between 20 and as high as 50% in the UK. 50% compared to just 2021. Energy prices are through the roof. And you can see that, yes, some of that increase started before the Russian war, uh, this new phase of the war in Ukraine, and when Russia sent its troops in in February of this year of 2022 but it was also increasing even before when a lot of these european governments were they were ending their long-term gas contracts with russia and instead buying gas and oil on the spot market which was leading to an increase in prices because these european countries were trying to wean themselves off of russian energy and then of course when russia invaded ukraine they just went full on pedal to the metal, imposed these brutal sanctions on Russia and are now facing their own economic consequences. Ironically, Russia is actually making more money than ever from selling its oil and gas. But this is the situation we're in. Now, I want to talk about how this myth of prosperity or abundance, as French President Macron put it, has always been predicated on a few pillars, a columns that we're always, you know, very weak and we're never going to be permanent. The The idea that capitalism would bring wealth to the working class. Well, first, what happened is with the rise of the Soviet Union and the socialist bloc, Western governments, especially European governments, were forced to impose some to uh, allow some kind of Keynesian measures, some kind of reforms that allowed a basic social safety net for poor and working people including healthcare, education, housing. And they did that largely in Europe and to a lesser extent in the US in this kind of golden era of capitalism, which was the Keynesian era of capitalism. And this was basically a way to prevent revolution. The US and Europe were looking at the Soviet Union, looking at China, looking at Korea, Vietnam, Latin America, you know, Angola, Congo, countries around the global south were having revolutions. And almost all those revolutions were socialist. So the U.S. and Europe, the capitalist class in those countries, were forced to make concessions to labor, allowing labor unions, were forced to make concessions to, to working people to allow them a very basic social safety net so they wouldn't rise up in a revolution and overthrow the government and, and create a socialist society. Now, in the 1980s, 
with the decline of the Soviet Union and the eventual victory of the U.S.-led capitalist bloc in the Cold War, which was really a bipolar war between the U.S.-led capitalist bloc, capitalist pole, and the Soviet-led socialist pole. And by the 1980s, the socialist pole was in decline, largely because of Western imperialist wars around the world, regime change operations, coups, uh, sanctions. And then, of course, we saw the massive arms race, especially under Ronald Reagan, the you know Star Wars program, trying to bankrupt the Soviet Union and force it to spend all this money on weapons and military technology. And when the, so the social socialist-led poll, led by the Soviet Union, was in decline, we saw that that was the rise of neoliberalism because the capitalist class in the U.S. and also in Europe, to a lesser extent, realized that they no longer had to provide their populations with this these Keynesian policies of like this social safety net. They could just privatize everything, cut social spending, cut education, cut health care, cut taxes on the rich, and just basically allow the free market and big corporations to take control of everything, to allow corporations to run society. And that's what happened, especially after the overthrow of the socialist bloc in 1991 with the overthrow of the Soviet Union, the overthrow of the other socialist countries in Eastern Europe. And then, of course, that leads to the multi, the unipolar era of U.S. unipolar imperialist domination of the planet. The U.S. could impose these neoliberal economic policies around the world, privatizing, privatizing economies everywhere like it did with neoliberal shock therapy in the Soviet Union and overthrowing any independent government that had a state-led socialistic or um, resource nationalist economic model. The U.S., which is the leader of NATO, destroyed the last socialist country in Europe, which was Yugoslavia. NATO destroyed Yugoslavia as a country. Then the U.S. did all these regime change wars, trying to overthrow socialist governments. I mean, of course, they did this in the 1980s as well. In Grenada, they overthrew the government in... Panama, they overthrew the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And then after that, of course, you get the regime change wars in Iraq, in Libya, the attempt in Syria. Uh, any government, and of course, the non-stop coup attempts against Cuba, Venezuela, the DPRK has been under sanctions for decades. So all, all of those measures have continued for decades, but they intensified in the unipolar era after the overthrow of the socialist pole and the creation of a unipolar world dominated by U.S. imperialism, which is really just the neoliberal era of capitalism. And now we're seeing that fall apart with the rise of a multipolar world, with the rise of China as the biggest country of a population, with the largest economy, according to purchasing power parity, and it has a socialist government. Russia doesn't have a socialist government, but it's not a neoliberal economy. The Russian economy is based on resource nationalism. The largest companies in Russia are state-owned, including Gazprom, the state-owned gas giant. Um, the largest banks are state-owned. So all the, the major natural resources in Russia belong to state-owned companies and the biggest banks, and then the rest of the economy is capitalist. So it's not exactly the same as the neoliberal model. And now we're seeing with the rise of these other economic alternatives that the Western neoliberal economies are fundamentally in crisis and decline. And I think we need to understand that one of the other ways that the neoliberal Western economies were allowed to function is also, especially after the overthrow of the Soviet Union, the US 
and Europe could rely on very cheap, reliable gas and oil from Russia. This graph here shows the export of energy from Russia to Europe. And this includes the time of the Soviet Union in the 70s and 80s, and then the Russian Federation after the restoration of capitalism in the 1990s and up to 2005. And you can see that in the 1970s, there were basically, this is Russia, this um, graph shows Russian gas exports specifically. And you can see that there was basically, there were no Russian gas exports in the 1970s, very few to its allies in Eastern and Central Europe. In the 1980s, there was an increase of Russian gas exports to some of its allies in Eastern and Central Europe, many of which had socialist governments, many of which were in the Warsaw Pact. And then after the overthrow of the Soviet Union and uh, the restoration of capitalism, you can see that Russia drastically increased its export of gas in the, in the 1990s and the 2000s to Europe, including countries in Western Europe. So this neoliberal bubble in the 1990s, the end of history, Francis Fukuyama nonsense, that idea of the myth of prosperity of what, of, or what French President Macron referred to as abundance, part of that was based on very cheap energy. And now with the sanctions that the US and Europe have on Russia, they no longer have access to that very cheap energy. So that was one of the pillars of the neoliberal economy that has been pushed away from under them. Another significant pillar under the neoliberal system was cheap consumer goods from China, from Asia in general, but especially from China. And here we can see that this is from UNICEF, from the United Nations, and we can see GDP per capita in China from 1978 to 2017. And in 1978, GDP per capita, this is based on the ren ren renminbi, which is the Chinese yuan, the Chinese currency. We can see that that the GDP per capita in China in 1978 was 385. Now it's, oh, as of 2017, it was 60,000. And of course it's increased even further since then. So this is a massive increase in simply the size of the Chinese economy and the amount of wealth that an average Chinese person generated in the economy, which also leads to another graph here, which shows the annual per capita disposable income of urban households in China from 1990 until 2021. And you can see this is in Yuan as well, the renminbi, the Chinese currency. In 1990, the average annual per capita disposable income of urban households in China was 1,500 Yuan. As of 2021, it's 47,000. That's like 40 times greater. So there's been a massive increase in wealth in China, and as wages per capita income has increased in China, this has meant that the consumer goods produced in China and other parts of Asia, where there's also been an increase in standards of living, especially you know Vietnam, to a lesser extent India, to a lesser extent Indonesia, as there's been this increase in living standards, and China being the most populous country on earth of 1.4 billion people, that, meant, that means that a lot of the cheap consumer goods that the neoliberal model in the West was based on, those goods are now more expensive. So in the 1990s, you know, under Bill Clinton, this neoliberal era, the, the U.S. capitalist class, they could continue cutting taxes on the rich. They could end welfare as we know it. That was Bill Clinton's famous campaign slogan, I'll end welfare as we, as we know it. So they can cut the social safety net, privatize things more and more, 
give corporations more and more control over society. But because people had very cheap consumer goods from Asia and they had very cheap energy, they didn't really feel it as much. Of course, there were people in poverty, there were people suffering, but a lot of working people didn't necessarily feel that their, their wealth was decreasing because they could rely on cheap energy and cheap consumer goods. And that situation has changed. It's no longer the same. So as Macron said, it's the end of the myth of abundance that the neoliberal economy was based on. Now, in addition to cheap consumer goods from Asia and cheap energy from Russia, another pillar that the neoliberal model was based on was debt. And we've seen a skyrocketing of household debt in the US and to a lesser extent in Europe since the neoliberal era. This graph shows household debt and in, from the 1950s, 1945 until 2015, actually until 2017, 2018, this graph is from. And this is from the New York Fed and the Federal Reserve Board. And it shows that in the 1950s, there was a slight growth in household debt in the United States. And that has skyrocketed. It reached in... In the 1980s, it reached $2 trillion worth of household debt. And you can see with the rise of, of neoliberalism and the end of Keynesian policies, you saw a skyrocketing, especially after the overthrow of the Soviet Union, the end of the first Cold War. The capitalist class no longer feared socialism. They no longer feared a revolution. So they could cut back on all of the social safety net policies they gave to poor and working people. And it was just the free market rules all, corporations rule all rule all and the myth of prosperity and abundance was based on the uh, illusion of having wealth based on debt and you can see that the vast majority of this debt still today is mortgage debt so if you look at the average uh, north americans wealth a lot of that that so-called wealth is actually it's not real wealth because their house and their car are probably based on loans especially their house is based on a mortgage and that belongs to a bank. So actually the bank is the owner of the house, not the person in the US. So in many ways that even that idea of wealth is a complete myth, it's just all based on debt. And this is especially true by the way in, in other neoliberal economies in Asia, like for instance in, in South Korea, where there's been a massive explosion in household debt in Japan and in, in uh, Canada, in Europe, but in the US it's just out of control. And you can see mortgage debt is the vast majority of that. But then, of course, we've also seen the rise of student loan debt. And that's another significant um, pillar of this neoliberal economy, right? The idea is that you can, you know, be prosperous in this, in this neoliberal capitalist economy. All you have to do is just study and work hard. And, you know, you might have some student loans, but they'll pay themselves off. Well, we've seen a skyrocketing in student loans. And... This graph shows the change in U.S. household debt as a percentage change. And you can see the percentage increase of student loans between 2003 and 2020 as the percentage of household debt has increased by 546%, a massive, ridiculous increase. This is not a kind of debt that exists in many countries around the world where the government provides high-quality public education. But no, in the U.S., there's been this massive increase. There's also been, what's not that well known, is there's also been a significant increase in auto loan debt. And then, of course, there's been an increase in mortgage debt, in house, household debt. 
or in the debt for buying homes and apartments, houses and apartments, because real estate prices have continued going through the roof, which was largely also based on another pillar of the neoliberal economy, which was low interest rates. And especially after the financial crash in 2008, 2009, interest rates were dropped basically to zero, which meant that there, were, there was this bubble of basically just free money going around to big corporations and all these loans that the Fed was giving. And then, of course, there's the quantitative easing program in which the Fed was just basically investing to prop up all of these corporations. And this, this is just fake imaginary economic growth that is all a big bubble created by the Federal Reserve. For people who are more interested in this, in this economic, you know, uh, snake, snake oil science, I uh, did an interview, I've done many interviews here at Multipolarista with economist Michael Hudson talking about this. So, you know, you have this other bubble of quantitative easing and low interest rates that were basically at zero. And of course, that is ending as well. With the growing inflation in the United States, we see that the Federal Reserve is increasing its interest rates back to the back to where they were before. And the entire the entire structure is collapsing. It's all coming down. Going back to this debt here, we can see that in the 1980s, as I showed, in the 1980s, when household debt started skyrocketing under Reaganism and the rise of neoliberal capitalism, the neoliberal era of capitalism after the end of Keynesianism, it was actually Richard Nixon who famously said, we're all Keynesians now. He was a Republican, of course. He was the last Keynesian president. We're all Keynesians now, he said. Well, with the rise of Reagan, they're all neoliberals now, including Republicans and Democrats are all neoliberals. They're always pushing for more you know, neoliberal capitalist reforms, freeing the market. That's their solution to every problem. Well, in the 1980s, household debt was reached around $2 trillion. As of 2021, household debt in the U.S. reached $15 trillion and continues to increase. And mortgages, once again, represent the vast majority of that. So the entire structure of the neoliberal economy is collapsing. It was all based on this myth of prosperity and abundance, as French President Macron said it. And now he's admitting that that myth of abundance is over, especially in Europe with the energy crisis. And we can also look at the skyrocketing rates of inequality in the United States. So while people are getting poorer, while inflation is eating away at their wages, while the price of goods is increasing and energy is increasing, and those, by the way, I hate to be pessimistic. Those increases are not going away. There, there is no longer going to be cheap energy. That era is over. There's no longer going to be extremely cheap consumer goods from Asia. That era is over. And now we're seeing that these Western governments refuse to return to Keynesianism. They refuse to even try to save capitalism with Keynesian policies like, like they tried to do during the first Cold War in the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s with their Keynesian policies. They're, they're so controlled by corporations. There's so little democracy. There's so little popular control of governments in the U.S. and Europe. They're completely authoritarian. They're captive. They're controlled by corporations. They refuse to return to Keynesianism. And that means that the only solution is continued immiseration and barbarism or socialism or, I mean, fascism. They're probably just going to go there. The capitalists are probably going to prefer fascism over socialism. So they prefer barbarism, that is fascism, over socialism. 
but they even refused to go back to the basic Keynesianist reformist policies of providing a social safety net for people, providing basic labor rights and unions. No, this graph shows the skyrocketing increase in inequality in the United States since the rise of the neoliberal era of capitalism in the 1980s under Reagan. And that has continued. All Every president since Ronald Reagan in the United States has been a neoliberal. Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. They're all neoliberal. And most politicians in Europe are also neoliberal. And you can see here in this graph, it shows that in 1980, the bottom 50% of US workers, they represented around 21% of the share of national income. And the top 1% of people in the United States represented around 11% of total national income. That has completely shifted in the past 40 years. Now, as of 2015, and this has only gotten worse since then, the bottom 50% of workers in the United States have only around 13% of national income. And the top one richest percent, the top 1% rich Americans have over 20% of national wealth. So this is the situation we're in. And I don't say this, you know, hopefully, I don't say this, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not happy about this, but the neoliberal economy, the neoliberal economic model has completely collapsed. It no longer has those basic pillars I talked about, which included, you know, first of all, regime change operations and imperialism, overthrowing any independent government with a socialist economic model or a state-led model of economic development. The U.S. can no longer do that with the rise of this multipolar world. We saw that the war in Syria was the end of that. The failed coup attempt in Venezuela, the failed coup attempt in Nicaragua, the proxy war in Ukraine, that situation, that it's, it's over. Libya was the last state with a socialistic mo economic model that, the, that NATO and U.S. imperialism were able to destroy. That, that era is over with the rise of China and Russia and also Iran and other parts of Asia and also Latin America, the rise of Brazil and the BRICS. That era is over. The end of cheap energy from Russia is over. The end of cheap consumer goods from Asia is over. And the household debt, this, this big bubble of debt is going to burst. Now, Joe Biden did, yes, he, he slightly, slightly uh, tried to ease some of the pressure from that valve, right? He slightly opened the faucet to try to let out that pressure so the system doesn't explode by pardoning $10,000 of student loan debt. All right, I'm not going to criticize that. That's probably the only good thing that Biden has done, along with all the horrible other bad things that he's done and the wars that he's been waging and his neoliberal policies in support of the rich. I mean, of course, that's not nearly enough. There's now $1.75 trillion, nearly $2 trillion of student loan debt in the United States. Biden could pardon all of that, at least all of the federally held student debt, student loan debt. And, and it wouldn't even, it would actually probably have a positive impact on the economy. Now we see like, uh, you know, Fox News and Republicans are attacking Biden for this, saying it's going to cost $300 billion, which is again, like economic pseudoscience. This is debt that belongs, this is debt owed to the U.S. government. It's not like when Biden forgives $10,000 up to, up to, by the way, up to maximum $10,000 in student loans to people. It's not like he's just giving them $10,000. He's pardoning up to $10,000 of student loans that are owed to the government. 
So it's actually not $300 billion being spent by the government. That's what Fox News is saying. It's not true. It's $300 billion of debt owed to the U.S. government, but it's just, it, it doesn't even exist. It, it's just numbers on a computer. Biden, if he wanted tomorrow, he could wipe out all of it, all of the $1.75 trillion of student debt. Of course, he's not going to do that. The reason, of course, he did this very bare bones basic measure is he's just trying to win support of young voters in the lead up to the November uh, elections, midterm elections. So it's a very cynical measure. But the point is that that represents the most basic bare measure that the U.S. government is taking amid, amidst this economic crisis. And the situation is getting worse. Uh, poverty is getting worse. Homelessness is getting worse, especially in California and, and other, you know, uh, you know, big cities in the United States and New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago. Homelessness is getting just absolutely out of control. Uh, you know, we see that unemployment is still chronically a major issue. And the idea that supposedly like, you know, unemployment is not that bad. If you look at the, the official unemployment rates, a lot of that is also economic pseudoscience because it's based on like, uh, it's based on people who are underemployed, people who are overqualified for a job. And they're, they're, you know, doing precarious jobs, like delivering food for like an app or driving cabs on like Uber or Lyft or something. This is, these are not real jobs. It's just precarious contract work. And you know, the, the contractization of the economy and like the freelancization of the economy. I mean, all these economic problems are causing a massive crisis. And these, the ruling class, these capitalists that these billionaire oligarchs who control these Western governments ref refuse to go back to even bare basic measures they had in the 1950s, 60s and 70s. So as Macron says, get ready for economic suffering, get ready for hardship as it's happening in Germany right now, get ready to ration energy. You're not going to be able to heat your house. You're going to have to keep, uh, you know, in this winter, you're going to have to keep the thermostat really low. And in summer, you're going to have to keep the thermostat really high. You're going to have to suffer. You are going to have less money in your pocket. You're going to have to, you know, uh, buy awful food instead of buying healthy quality food, organic produce or whatever. I mean, they're saying like, look, tighten your belt. Difficult times are coming because the neoliberal model is collapsing around us and we refuse to provide social a social safety net. We refuse to tax the rich. We refuse to fund education and healthcare as they're cutting it and privatizing it, not just in the US, but you know, you can look at Britain and the, the, the slow destruction of the National Health Service and the slow privatization of it. They refuse to end these neoliberal policies in order, ironically, in order to save capitalism. They refuse to even go back to Keynesianism because, as I said, these Western so-called democracies are not democracies. They are authoritarian regimes. They're increasingly authoritarian and they are controlled. They're capitalist regimes controlled by billionaire oligarchs, by big corporations and capitalists. They are the ones who determine what policy is. And they're going to try to use culture war to distract people at home with all these culture war policies that both Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. fight over. In Europe, they have a similar kind of culture war going on. The, you know, the right wing is going to try to scapegoat refugees and immigrants. <laughs> They're going to scapegoat LGBT people. You know, all of them, liberals and conservatives, are going to scapegoat 
China and Russia and Iran and Venezuela, all the boogeymen. They're going to have more. They're going to push for more and more war on China and Russia because that's their only solution. They refuse to take any measures to redistribute wealth. They refuse to impose any restrictions on the capitalist class and big corporations because they're controlled by them. Instead, their only solution is culture war at home and war war on China and Russia. We see that with the proxy war in Ukraine, and we see that with the U.S. attempts to start a war with China over Taiwan, with the U.S. support for secessionist movements in Taiwan and Hong Kong and Xinjiang and, and Tibet. This is the new Cold War. Their solution to try to save capitalism is instead of going back to Keynesianism, is sticking with neoliberalism, making people poorer and poorer, but trying to recolonize China, to recolonize Russia, to recolonize the global south, and to reimpose U.S. unipolar hegemony and imperialist control over the planet. That's their solution. As Macron says, it's the end of the era of abundance, and it's the new Cold War. It's the era of war of more war on China and Russia. So tighten your belts and get ready to be conscripted in some countries to go fight a war for empire. And I'll conclude this by saying that U.S. politicians are making this as clear as day. They're not even hiding it. Here is a tweet from a Republican congressman, Jim Banks, who, by the way, claims to be a right-wing populist in scare quotes, the, the biggest fraud ever. I mean, that's such a scam. There's no, there's no such thing as right-wing populism. Jim Banks says, he tweeted, student loan forgiveness undermines one of our military's greatest recruitment tools at a time of dangerously low enlistments. So this is him acknowledging that, that the U.S. capitalist class and Republicans like him and Democrats alike, they use debt as a tool, as a tool of class warfare to force poor and working people to accept horrible jobs and to, to, to tell them they can't complain and to try to pressure them to join the military, to send them abroad, to go kill people on behalf of empire, to wage war on China and Russia. And they use debt and student loans as a tool, as an instrument. He calls it a recruitment tool for the military, for the war machine. And ironically, this fraud is the same guy who calls himself a right-wing populist, and he claims that he wants to create a so-called working-class GOP. A working-class GOP. He claims, join Jim Banks in welcoming the working-class to the GOP. He says, join me in my efforts to permanently make the GOP the party of the working-class. Now, at the mean in the meantime, the so-called right-wing populist He's saying that the U.S. has to plan a war on China over Taiwan and needs to spend billions and billions and trillions of dollars to send more weapons to Taiwan to wage a proxy war on China. I mean, Taiwan is part of China. So this is the solution of both Republicans and Democrats, including the fake right-wing right populist Republicans who claim that they want a working-class GOP while they're saying, wait, don't give any student loan forgiveness because we need them to be stuck in debt so we can force them to work horrible jobs for no benefits and we can we can pressure them to join the military to go kill people abroad to wage proxy wars on behalf of empire that's their solution i hate to end on a pessimistic note that's their non-solution and that's why more and more people across the so-called west need to recognize that the solution is not capitalism the solution is socialism and the solution is neither of the, of the two bourgeois 
imperialist neoliberal ruling parties, neither the Republicans nor the Democrats. The so-called right-wing populists are completely full of BS and the Democrats are full of BS too. Neither of them is actually, care, actually concerned with helping to care for poor and working people and make their lives better. No, their solution is more war and they refuse to, to go back even to the basic Keynesian policies. So the last thing I'll say here is think carefully about Macron's speech, the end of abundance. That's a threat in many ways. It's a threat to the working class. This is class war. There already is a class war being waged. It's a class war on poor people, on working people. And the class war says, we are going to make your lives more difficult and we're going to make you pay for our wars for empire.